Well, good morning. How y'all doing? Good to see you either way, whether you're doing good or terrible. And I hope you uh, come today ready to uh, hear some stuff and and, uh, maybe allow God to speak to you a little bit. And um, we're going to we're going to uh, start something new that we're going to do today and, and to, uh, next Sunday and the week after that. But before we do that, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I'm going to repeat some of what Donnie said up here a while ago because I know some of y'all were out still having coffee during that time, and that's cool. Um, but I, I want you to know, next Sunday afternoon, all right, seven days from today, today is the 14th, next Sunday is the 21st, even though I was remedial in math, even I can figure that out, all right? So seven days from today... We're going to do baptism 6 o'clock Sunday night. Now, here's the deal. Let me just break this down for you again, uh, real simple. Well, right now, we've got, I think, about seven folks who are going to be baptized. There's two things you need to think about. One is, first of all, whether or not you need to be one of those. If you've never taken that step to say, I'm going to publicly let everybody know that Jesus has changed my life. So you might need to be one of the ones being baptized next week. And, uh, and it, it'll be eight instead of seven or ten instead of seven or however many it is. But the other thing is, if you're already a follower of Jesus um, and, and you just you hear that and you're thinking, well, who are the ones being baptized? It doesn't matter, okay? I, just t- I mean, it does matter to them. But it, that shouldn't matter to you whether or not you show up. Because it's not just about seeing somebody you know or seeing your friends. It's about being there as a church family gathering together to let these folks know we are excited about what Jesus has done in your life and we want to gather together to celebrate with you what's happening. So, I love NFL football just as much as anybody has ever loved it, probably. And, uh, and, and my Sunday afternoons, you can ask, you can call home and ask my wife, as the old song said. And uh, you, can, you can do that and she will tell you that what I like to do when I get home from church is after I'm done eating, I sleep through most of the first football game that's on TV in my chair, and then I wake up, and I watch the next football game, and then I watch the NBC thing where they talk about all the football games, and then I watch the last football game, and that's what I do on Sunday afternoons. But next Sunday at 6 o'clock, I wouldn't miss this even if I didn't have to be there, okay? Because it's about celebrating what Jesus has done to change people's lives. So I want to encourage you to be there. Come out to SSI. If you need to know how to get there, uh, you can ask me or anybody else or go on their website. Just Google Sportsmind Industrial and you'll, you'll find it. But it's right behind McDonald's and Pizza Hut and Little Caesars and all the places that can make you fat. Then you can go behind those places to SSI and work out and get skinny again. So that's how you can remember where it is, all right? But just want to encourage you to be there next Sunday. Uh, if you haven't made plans yet, go ahead and put it on your calendar and make plans to be there. So we're, we're starting something new today and next Sunday and the Sunday after that. And, uh, and we're going to talk about uh, kind of leading up to Thanksgiving because I don't, I'm sure you're aware of this, but it just seems like that today uh, in our society, Thanksgiving is just pushed to the back shelf. And this isn't really just about Thanksgiving, but it, it's about what Thanksgiving means and what it represents. But Thanksgiving really is pushed to, to the back of the shelf uh, in, in society. And, and today we kind of go from Halloween, and then it's like the day after Halloween is Christmas time to some people. And 102.5 and 98.9 this week started playing Christmas music, and I think that should be against the law. And I know some of you, some of you are like loving it, but, you know, I'm not for a government getting involved in our lives, but maybe we need to make a federal law that says no Christmas music until the day after Thanksgiving, right? 
And so, uh, and so it just seems like that that's the way society is, it moves. And, and really, and then Thanksgiving Day, sometimes, you know, it is good. We gather together, and that's awesome, and, and, uh, and we eat and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of times Thanksgiving Day then is more about making our strategies for which stores we're going to hit first thing on Black Friday. And it's about watching the Detroit Lions lose to somebody. And, uh, you know, it's all, about, it's all about those kinds of things on the day of Thanksgiving. But if you'll remember the history of Thanksgiving in our country, if you can go back to school in your mind, remember when you used to learn about this, and remember you were little kids, they made you dress up like pilgrims, and they made you dress up like Indians, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, but if, Thanksgiving goes all the way back to the 1600s, way up in New England at a place called Plymouth Colony, and, and that was the, the first Thanksgiving was a three-day feast. Because, see, they didn't have to go shopping the next day, so they could hang around and eat for two more days. And it was a three-day feast, but the, it was more than just getting together and eating. It was a celebration and an acknowledgement that everything they had here in this new country had come from God. And so it was a way for them to stop and to say, these crops we've got, God, you, you, you gave them to us. The fact that we were able, even able to be here, that we crossed the ocean in a ship and it took us a month or so or however long to get here, you were the one that did this for us. And so it was an acknowledgement of that God is the one who provides and they were thanking him for that. And so I think what we need to do just as, as, as followers of Jesus is get back to the place to where we are regularly, not just at Thanksgiving, but where we are regularly letting God know how grateful we are for what he's done. So we're going to talk next week about grateful, but today I want to start on the negative side of it with ungrateful. We're going to talk about what it means to be ungrateful and what ungratefulness looks like. And if, if you notice, not just because of the Thanksgiving thing, but it seems to me like that we kind of live in a society that is becoming more and more ungrateful. Maybe it's just me, but it, it's just people are it's just people are seem to be negative and hard to please and whether it's about their you know whether it's about their politicians or their football teams or their uh their houses or whatever it's just people seem to be just negative and ungrateful for anything good that's happening so uh, as i was thinking about that uh, a story from the scripture just immediately came to my mind and it's in in the book of luke so if you've got your bibles open to luke luke is in the new testament which is the second part of the bible so kind of go to the back half the first four books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So go to the book of Luke, the third one. Those first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call those the Gospels. Does anybody know what gospel means? It means good news. Because it's the good news about Jesus. So all four of those books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell the story of Jesus. Uh, from the time he was small up until he was crucified, then he was resurrected, and then he left and went back to heaven. Uh, where he had come from originally. And so, uh, so the book of Luke tells this story in Luke chapter 17. If you'll turn there. If you don't have your Bibles, look on the screen while I read this. And uh, this is a great story about some pretty ungrateful dudes. It says this in Luke 17, 11. This is Jesus traveling. Now on his way to Jerusalem... Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. 
he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. There's a couple things I think we can learn about ungratefulness from this passage of Scripture, and some of it we can also learn just from observing day to day. And the first thing is this that I want us to talk about. Oftentimes, the more we have, the more ungrateful we are. Oftentimes, the more we have, the more ungrateful we are. Look at verses 12 and 13 again of Luke 7. It says this, As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now what you need to understand about this is that leprosy was a bad deal back then, even worse than it is today. Leprosy is a bad disease no matter when you have it. If you, if you have, there are, and there are still places in the world where people suffer from leprosy in today's, uh, in 2010. And it's a bad disease now, just like it was a bad disease then. But back then, in the Jewish culture in which Jesus lived in, it was even worse. And here's why. It was not only bad because it was a physical, debilitating disease that, uh, that there was no cure for, and back then there wasn't really even any treatment for it. That was one part. But the other reason why it was so bad in the Jewish culture at that time is if you had leprosy, you were declared what the Jews called, you were declared ceremonially unclean. In other words, what that meant was is you could not go to the temple. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, in those days, all of Jewish culture was surround, it was, it was all about the temple. The Jewish, the Jewish temple was at the center of culture for them. The market that they went to was right outside the temple where they went and bought, buy, and sell, and all that kind of stuff was right outside the temple. It, your family... Your family wouldn't be around you if you had leprosy because if they were around someone who had leprosy, they also would be declared unclean and they wouldn't be allowed to go to the temple. So leprosy in those days, if you had leprosy, yes, it was physically terrible. But even above that, socially, you were an outcast. You lost your family because none of them wanted to be around you because they would be unclean. You lost the ability to go to temple, which was a religious problem, and it was also a social problem because that's where everybody went to do everything. You lost the ability to go to the market so that you couldn't buy food for yourself, those kinds of things. So leprosy, for those folks, it was a death sentence literally in the fact that it was eventually going to kill you, but it was also a death sentence socially and religiously for the people that lived back then. So you've got these ten guys who are outcasts of society. And that's why you see in verse 13 when it says, or verse 12 at the end, it says they stood at a distance. They weren't allowed to approach people. And they especially weren't allowed to approach someone like Jesus because he was a Jewish teacher. He was a rabbi. And so he would go and teach at the temple. And so they, they knew they couldn't approach him because they couldn't have chance making him unclean and not allowing him to have the opportunity to teach at the temple. So that's why it says they stood at a distance. And then in verse 13, this is why, the, because they're outcasts, look what they asked Jesus for. It says, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. They don't even ask him to heal them. These guys were so beaten down by society. They were such outcasts, they were such on the fringes of society that they didn't even think that they were worthy to even ask for what they really wanted. What they really wanted was to be healed. But all they asked Jesus for was just have a little bit of pity on us. Just look our way. 
just acknowledge who we are. Just, just throw us a crust of bread. Do anything to let us know that you care. Just have pity on us. They weren't even asking to be healed. And so I love in verse 14. Look at verse 14 again. It says this. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now here's what I love about this. A couple things. One is... I love how in Scripture, Jesus never heals everybody the same way. Have you ever noticed that? He didn't have one formula to use. Some people, he touched them and he healed them. One dude, he took dirt and he spit in it and put it on the dude. You know, that's pretty gross. And he healed him like that. One guy says that he took his own saliva and put it in the other guy's mouth, put it on his tongue, and he healed him. There's all these different ways Jesus had of healing people. But look at how he does it here. He doesn't even say to them, be healed. He doesn't even touch them. They're standing way like way back at the back of the auditorium and he says, hey, just go show yourselves to the priests. Now, he doesn't tell them when you get there, you're going to be healed. He just says, go do that. And so as they start making their way there, it says that they were cleansed. I don't know if it happened all at once or I don't know if each step they take, all of a sudden one part of their body begins to be healed and by the time they get there from head to toe, they no longer have leprosy. I don't know how it happened. But it's so cool that Jesus just said to them and he has the power just to say to them, I don't even have to touch you. I don't even have to say the words be healed. You just go do what I tell you to do and it's going to happen. You're going to be healed. And so as they go, they take off and they go to the priest. Now, here's the other reason I think it's so cool why Jesus told them to go to the priests. Where did I just tell you was the center of Jewish society? Where was it? The temple. You can, you can say out loud. Who is in charge of the temple? The priests, right? So what he's telling them here is this is so great because Jesus is healing them in two ways in verse 14. He's healing them physically but he's also healing them socially and he's healing them religiously because as they got to the temple, what you had to do to, in order to re-enter the temple if you had been unclean, before you could re-enter the temple, you had to see the priest. The priest had to look at you and say, you're clean now, now you can come back in. And so what he's telling them is, he says, go see the priests. So when you get there, not only are you going to be physically healed, but the priest is going to look at you, he's going to see that you're, you're healed, and now you're going to be socially healed and religiously healed as well. You'll be able to go back into the temple. You'll be able to go back to your families. You'll be able to go back to the market. You'll be able to go back to your jobs. And so Jesus gave it all back to them. He gave them everything back. It's like, it was like playing a country song backwards, right? You know, you get your dog back, you get your wife back. You, you know, they got everything back just by, walking, just by walking to the temple like Jesus told them to. They got everything back. And after they got everything back, there's ten of them, only one guy shows back up to say thanks. Only one. And it blows our mind when we read it. And you think about the nine guys and immediately, you know, you start thinking, man, these guys were jerks. Uh, you know, they, they don't know what they're doing, all that kind of stuff. And maybe, maybe they were pretty good guys. Maybe they just got real busy. They got back all of a sudden, you know, their wife wanted to see them, their kids wanted to see them, and they just, well, I'll go see Jesus later, and, and they just hung out with them. Maybe they were, remember when the Chilean miners got out and they were all on talk shows? Maybe these guys were like making the talk show circuit. They used to have leprosy, right? You know, and they're talking to David Letterman or Oprah or whoever. And so, I mean, this, who knows what happens. But whatever happened, whatever their reasons were it for, were for not coming back, the, the fact remains is that nine of them, nine out of the ten, didn't think that it was important enough to come back and tell Jesus, thank you. 
didn't think it was important enough even just to show up and say, you're pretty cool, you're great, I was bad off and now I'm in good shape. None of them did that, but one guy did. So let's look at the one guy who did. Look at verse 16. What does it tell us about the one guy who came back? It says, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a what? Samaritan. And look at verse 18. Jesus even brings this up again. He says, has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Now, let me tell you why I think it's so important. And let me tell you why I think Luke wanted to be sure and include the fact that this guy was a Samaritan in here. You see, this guy was an outcast for two reasons. One, for the leprosy. That's obvious. Because he had leprosy, he couldn't go to the temple. He couldn't do all those things. So that was one reason he was an outcast. But he was also an outcast before he ever had leprosy. He was an outcast in Jewish society the day he came into the world. When he was born into the world to a Samaritan mom and a Samaritan dad, and now he was a Samaritan boy, he immediately became an outcast to the Jews. Because to the Jews, Samaritans were second-class citizens. They were already outcasts. So this guy, even before he had leprosy, he knew what it felt like to be ostracized. He knew what it felt like not to be able to enter the temple. He knew what all those things were like. The other guys, I don't know if they were Samaritans or not. Chances are they weren't. And chances are that being an outcast was a temporary situation for them. Before they got leprosy, they weren't outcasts. Now that they were healed, they were no longer outcasts. This guy, even after he got healed, he was still going to be an outcast in the eyes of the Jews. And I think that's where this idea of ungratefulness, and for us, sometimes the more we have, the more ungrateful we are. I think that's where it's key is because of this. I think one of the reasons why that guy came back is he was so grateful because he knew what it was like to struggle. He knew what it was like to be an outcast. And I think sometimes for us, especially for us living in America, we have the tendency to become so ungrateful because we have so much. And we really do. And I think sometimes it's like, it's like a scale and over here we pile up all of our stuff and we got money and, and, and we've got cars and we've got a house and we've got good health and we've got relationships and all this stuff piles up and then as it piles up, our great, how grateful we are over here, it seems to decrease. It seems like the more we get, then we're not grateful for it anymore because we just want something else. Yeah, that's a nice car that I just got, but wouldn't it really be nice now that I've got that one to have the next level up? This is a nice computer that I've got, but now that I've got that, wouldn't it be nice to have the next level up, whatever it might be? And so it seems like the more we have, the more ungrateful we become. And we, saw, and we see that in the Scripture where the one guy who came back, he understood what it meant to not have anything. He understood what it meant to be an outcast. I'll, uh, I'll always remember the best thing I ever drank in my life. And those of you who know me, are going to be surprised, but it wasn't chocolate milk, all right? I love chocolate milk, and I drink chocolate milk every day, but the best thing I ever drank was a Mountain Dew, and let me tell you why it was so good. I mean, you can buy Mountain Dew. I mean, I live in a country. I could go out today, and I could buy enough Mountain Dew to fill up my garage if I wanted to, right? I could just have Mountain Dew all the time, but, um, but th this Mountain Dew was so awesome because I drank it when I was working uh, in Columbia when I grew up, uh, when I graduated from high school, the last month or so before I went off to college, I worked this awesome job where um, I worked every day on the top of a factory in Columbia in August on the roof 
fixing holes in a roof with hot tar. It was an amazing job if you wanted to dive heat stroke. It was an amazing job. It, you know, it, you'd start off the morning and it'd be 90 before 8 o'clock. And then by 3 o'clock in the afternoon when you're trying to finish those last two hours, it's like 102. And literally every part, I mean, when you're wet all the way down to your drawers, you know that it's a really hot day. And so that's the kind of that's the kind of job it was. And I'll never forget, there was one day it was particularly hot. I think that day it got up like to 137 or something. I don't know what it was, but I mean, it was just ridiculously hot. And, and, and we hadn't, and, and you know, this is, I don't know if this is because it was over 20 years ago and things were different back then or it was just because I worked for a bad company. But these guys, they never gave you water breaks. They never encouraged you to bring water. To, you just got up there and you worked all day and that was it. And uh, so by 5 o'clock, you just felt like you were just completely about to lose it. And I'll never forget, I climbed down the ladder in that factory and there, like a heavenly light was shining down on this, on this drink machine. And I, you know, fished in my pocket and found two quarters and put it in, and I got a Mountain Dew, just a regular old Mountain Dew. Now, this wasn't, this wasn't special Mountain Dew. It, it was just like all the others that came out of the factory. But when I opened it up and I poured that thing down my throat, it was like juice straight out of heaven. It was amazing. And the reason why had nothing to do with the Mountain Dew itself, but it had to do with how grateful I was for it because I didn't have anything. I was... Just I thought I was dying of thirst and I just needed something to drink and it tasted so good. And to this day, I will never open a Mountain Dew and it will be as good as it was back then. But the, the truth of the matter is, I probably would have felt that way if somebody would have handed me a, a, a glass of water that they'd gotten out of a mud puddle. I mean, that, because at that moment, I was so thirsty. And so because my need was so high, my gratefulness level for that drink was extremely high as well. But I think what we struggle with, especially as American followers of Jesus, we struggle with the fact that we don't ever struggle. Really. I know you're saying, Cliff, man, I, I struggle every day. You don't struggle every day to the point where you wonder where you're going to get something to eat. Even on your worst day, you've got something in your refrigerator. Even on your worst day, you've got a bed you can get into with a roof over your head. Even if it's just a mattress laying on a floor, you've got somewhere to sleep. And because we have so much, we have the temptation to be very ungrateful for what God has given us and what God has provided us. And the second thing I think we can learn from this passage is this. Being ungrateful is a spiritual issue. Being ungrateful is a spiritual issue. Look at verses 17 and 18 of Luke 17 there. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? And then I love that he says this, has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? It wasn't just a saying thank you was important, but it was more than saying thank you. When Jesus said, has no one returned to give praise to God, what he's saying there is, is this guy has shown back up and what he is doing is he's acknowledging, he's admitting that the only way that he was cleansed was because of me. The only way that he was made clean is because I did it for him. And that's why being ungrateful is a spiritual issue. Because for us, if, if we're truly going to understand what God's done for us, it's got to begin in our heart. And it's got to become something where it's just natural for us to tell God thank you. To say, I know that if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have this house. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have this family. I wouldn't have this car. I wouldn't have the ability to live in a country where I can go to church. I wouldn't have extra money where I can do things that are just fun. I wouldn't have any of this stuff if it wasn't for you. 
And see, the worst part about living an ungrateful life is that we ignore the God who is providing for us and protecting us. We ignore him. See, it was worse. It was these other nine guys not coming back. It wasn't just bad manners. You know, as a little kid, what are you always taught? I mean, from the time you're tiny, what do you teach your kids? Somebody gives them something and, what, and they just take it and run off. What do you do? What do you say to them? What do you say? What do you say? Yeah, we're going to make our kids say thank you, aren't we? That's what we're going to do, and we should make them say thank you. But you're taught that from a little kid. Say thank you for whatever. And, but these guys, it wasn't just that they had bad manners. It wasn't just that they forgot to say thank you like their mamas and daddies taught them. It was that they were ignoring the fact that it was God that gave it to them. All they had to do was show back up. It would have taken a minute and a half to go back and say, I'm clean because of you, and drop to their knees just like the Samaritan did. So it wasn't just bad manners, it was a bad heart. It was a bad problem in their heart. And that's what chronic ungratefulness is. Chronic ungratefulness is spiritual heart disease. Now, you know real heart disease from, you know, physical heart disease has symptoms, right? What's the worst symptom of physical heart disease? A heart attack, right? You know, you get shortness of breath and you get pain in your left shoulder and next thing you know you're going to the hospital because you've had a heart attack. That's the worst symptom of heart disease. Now, the heart attack is what kills you, but, but, it, but a heart attack just doesn't come up out of nowhere. You already had heart disease before the heart attack came and maybe you didn't know about it and that's where it comes from. But that's the symptom of it. But the problem, the big problem is heart disease, right? It's the same way with chronic ungratefulness. Chronic ungratefulness is spiritual heart disease. And perhaps, perhaps you're starting to see some of the symptoms in your life. And they're going to kill you spiritually just like the, the real heart disease will kill you physically. What are some of the symptoms of chronic ungratefulness, of spiritual heart disease? Well, maybe, uh, maybe it's being hard to satisfy. Are, are you at a place where you always need something newer and shinier and faster and better looking? Are you at a place where, where the time between those things gets smaller and smaller? In other words, you get this thing, that's what you've always wanted, and then as soon as you get it, within six weeks, you're thinking how you can get the next one, and you're not even grateful for the first one you got? Is that where you are? Or maybe, maybe you're at a place where where you're, you just re, have realized, or maybe you haven't realized, but someone else needs to tell you that you just have a negative attitude about most things. And it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's your job or your, your house or your family or, or what's going on in the world. Just generally your default setting of your life is being negative. And you're always complaining and nothing is ever good enough. And all of a sudden you start to realize, wait a minute, I'm chronically ungrateful. Because if, you are, if you're grateful for what God's given you, you can't be negative all the time. It's impossible to be negative all the time if you are, if you are really grateful for what God gives you. Now, you're, everybody's going to have a bad day here or there. But I'm talking about those of you that maybe suffer from the fact that you are 9 days out of 10, 29 days out of 30, you are negative. You're just negative about what's going on. Chances are you've got spiritual heart disease, which is chronic ungratefulness going on in your heart. Maybe, uh, maybe this is, seems to be on the other side of it, 
But maybe you're at the place where you think you don't need anybody's help. You don't need God's help. And you say, yeah, God might have given me, you know, some abilities and stuff. But the reason I've got what I got, Cliff, is because I worked hard for it. Man, I work hard. And everything I got came from the sweat of my own brow. And I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, even though my boots don't really have straps. I did that somehow. And I've done all this stuff. And it's all because of me that I've done this. And, and that seems to be the opposite of having a negative attitude, but it's the same disease of chronic ungratefulness because you're not acknowledging where all this stuff came from. Yeah, you worked hard. Great. Who gave you the ability to work hard? Yeah, you, uh, you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. Who gave you boots with straps, right? God did. Every, everything you've got came from Him. And so, so if you, even if you're totally self-reliant, you still are suffering from the disease of chronic ungratefulness. And it's this huge issue because it's not just about being thankful for cars and houses and food. It's about being thankful to the God who created you. It's about acknowledging that your very next breath only comes because he allows you to breathe it. It's about acknowledging that the only reason your heart is still pumping blood through your veins is because God hasn't said, that's enough for you. You're dead now. Because all of our lives, everything about them is, is God holding us together. He is protecting us. He is providing for us. And the worst part about being chronically ungrateful is that we ignore the God who does those things for us. So as we finish up, look at verse 19. It says this, Then he said to him, Jesus, talking to the guy who came back. He says, rise and go. Say this last part with me. Your faith has made you well. What did he say again? Your faith has made you well. See, when he showed back up, Jesus had already healed him physically. Jesus had already healed him socially. He had already healed him religiously. But when he showed back up, you know what he did? He healed him spiritually. Because he came back and he said, now, because you understand where this healing came from, now no longer are you suffering from leprosy on the outside, but now I'm going to heal your heart. And I'm going to take that sinfulness out of your heart. And I'm going to pay the penalty for your sins. I'm going to heal you spiritually. And his return, when the Samaritan returned, it was his confession of faith. It was him coming back and saying, I can't do this without you. And Jesus said, you're exactly right, you can't. And because of that, you are forgiven. Because of what I'm going to do on the cross and because of you understanding that, you are forgiven for all of those sins. So let me ask you this. I struggled getting ready of figuring out how to end this, and so I really don't know right now. But my question for you is, you just have to look in your own heart. I can't do it for you. I promise you that when I was putting this message together, I didn't have anybody in mind thinking, oh yeah, this person's ungrateful, this person's because I don't know. Because this is such a personal issue. You, because you can be the most ungrateful person there is and, and hide it from someone like me. You can hide it from, from people around you. Chances are you can't hide it from your husband or your wife. Chances are you can't hide it from your kids. So if you're wondering, hey, am I chronically ungrateful? Maybe you need to ask them. Be ready for what they're going to tell you. But maybe you would say, I'm not. I'm not chronically ungrateful, but I struggle with that day to day, whatever it might be. But what I want you to understand is 
until you get to the point to where you acknowledge and you admit that the only way you're surviving on this earth is through the grace of God, and you acknowledge and you admit that the only way that you can be forgiven of sin and enter into heaven when you leave this earth is through the grace of God, until you get to that point, you are still not where you need to be spiritually. So if you're here today and you're saying, I think I can make it on my own, or I'm not sure if I'm forgiven or not, don't wait another moment. Make sure that you understand it's about acknowledging sin and giving my life over to Jesus. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and I'm about to pull an audible here, band, all right? I'm looking out over the line of scrimmage, and I see a blitz coming, and we're going to pull an audible, all right? So the band's going to come on up, and we, they've got a song we're going to close with, but before we close with that song, I want y'all to do um, Jesus Paid It All one more time. Can y'all hang with that? And um, so uh, we're going to do Jesus Paid It All one more time, and this is what I want you to do. I want you just to uh, go ahead and stand up while the band's getting in place. We're going to do Jesus Paid It All, and then I'll, I'll come back up for like five seconds before we do the closing song. But uh, while, we're, while we're singing Jesus Paid It All, this song is so perfect for today. It's almost as if Chris and I planned this together, um, which we really did. That's what I'm saying. That, but, um, but it's such a perfect for this message because it talks in there that there's a verse in there that says that God can change the leper's spots, which is just what we just talked about. God can feel you, can heal you physically. But more than that, it also talks about what Jesus really died for, and that was for your sin. And so as we sing this song, I want you to sing praise to him. And if you need to come down front and pray, if you, whatever you need to do, if you just want to stay where you are, that's cool too. But I want you to think about what God has saved you from. And I want you to acknowledge that it's only because he saved you that you are standing here today. Acknowledge that to him as we do this last song.